I can't control God. It's a risk you take, you know? I can't control the wind yeah. or God. So then it's, five seconds then I will call out the tour director, but I'm just saying that if the wind blows, there's nothing I can do about that. I can't control God. Talk to him. Hello everybody, welcome to season 10 of The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. I'm James. Happy 2024. Happy New Year. Wow. Did everyone enjoy their off season? However brief it was? I, I, I was actually fine with it. Is that weird? <laughs> like, I didn't feel that we didn't have enough time off. It's a busy time of year to begin with anyway. You know? Yes. We put out a mailbag episode mid-December uh, that actually performed really well. Like, by by our standards, apparently the people wanted it. A lot of podcasts weren't producing that late in December because the, the season was long gone at that point. We just wanted to have some fun. I was very serious about protecting my peace, as you like to say this year. Tennis did not exist to me until it turned 2024. I know the season started at the end of 23. Not for me. Well, that wasn't the case for me. Nope. <laughs> Already there's so much to get into. So many winners, this being the first, I guess, full week of the tennis season. We had a lot of stuff happening. But before we get into it, a bit of an update on our GoFundMe. We've crossed 70%. I think we're at 71% of our goal at the moment. Thank you to everybody who's donated thus far. We've just been planning a tennis trip. Won't tell you where yet. I don't like to count my chickens before they hatch. But we are planning to go somewhere... In the spring. Somewhere I've been before, somewhere you've never been before. Yeah, so that'll that'll really narrow it down for, for the listeners who <laughs> listen closely. But excited about that. Uh, excited about a few more potential tennis trips this year. We thank you very, very much for making that possible for us. The more we receive, the more we're able to do. That sounds so cringe. Wow, that's like... <laughs> That sounds like your hand long out. Right. <laughs> but anyway, thanks everyone so far. As uh, we've mentioned in the past, we always keep the GoFundMe open until the end of the Australian Open. So the end of January. I always have to remind you as well that it's actually the week after the Australian Open ends because oh. folks need to have a chance to listen to the final episode. Okay, fine. Uh, we quite literally argue about this every year. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We're in the process of designing new postcards and new bookmarks. So if you've donated $100 or more, you will get a postcard with bookmarks inside. To that end, send us your addresses if you qualify. If you've sent us your address previously, we have it on file. Just say, hey, same address. We'll pop it in the mail to you. At the $500 level, we are... Uh, I guess inviting those folks to suggest or help plan a long-form episode. If there's a topic that you'd like us to delve into, if there's research you've already done and you want to sort of co-produce. Yeah, I mean, if it makes it to option. air and we get through the process well together, you can put it on your resume. <laughs> oh, Co-produced an episode me. of The Body Search. I should put this on my resume then. <laughs> Only nine years too late. But technically, uh, that's what it would be, right? I guess so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
we've already gotten a topic that uh, we're really excited about diving into. I have already bought some material for it. Merry Christmas to you. Right. Bought you a work that, book. That showed up on Christmas Day, and I was like, oh, so you're putting me to work. That's my Christmas gift? Yes, yes. So keep that in mind. If you have donated at that level and have something you'd really like us to, to research and present on. Because I, I know some of y'all, you're, mm-hmm. you're really ardent fans of certain people in particular. And I can think of a couple players who would make for good case studies. Mm-hmm. I think when you said on the Manlikova episode that your favorite era of tennis ended when Martina Hingis started, that, uh, <laughs> that broke a few hearts. <laughs> Listen, it doesn't mean that I can't be objective looking back. It doesn't mean that I did not enjoy the hell out of Hingis's comebacks, plural. Yeah, yeah. We were there for one of her first tournaments back in Toronto. Oh, do you remember that? Yeah. That oh, was, yeah. Yeah. In double when she was dominating doubles yeah. with as, uh, Mirza. My perspective as a tennis fan back then is that I was all about the underdog, and so when Hingis was out here blitzing everybody with that grin, I was not about that life. Mm-hmm. And when she came back, I was able to reassess and appreciate her differently. She's a complicated tennis figure. Yes. Anyway, the link to the GoFundMe is in our link tree, which you can find linked on all of our socials at The Body Serve on Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky, uh, some other things, I'm sure. More specifically, the link is linktree.com slash The Body Serve. Right, but who, who types in a URL anymore? You're giving people like extra steps here. <laughs> what are we looking forward to in 2024? A lot of it we've already seen comebacks from the likes of Rafa, Naomi, Angie, Emma Raducanu, a few others. The continued comebacks of Svitolina or returns to tour of Svitolina, of Wozniacki. On a micro level, on an us level, we're uh, aiming to reach 1 million downloads this year, which on our current pace is doable. Yeah. I'll be lying if I didn't say that was the major driving factor for our output at the end of the year. <laughs> to get on a good, I was a doing, good pace, yeah. I was doing Julia Roberts math. You know that meme that I maintain uh-huh. looks like Julia well, Roberts? You're not the only one. You you feel very persecuted about this, but if you look up Julia Roberts math meme, that shows up. Okay. I, so other people think so that I'm too. not the only one. Something else to look forward to in, well, maybe not look forward to, but look out for in 2024, just how short will Hogaruna's shorts get? <laughs> right now it's giving Larry Bird. You can tell that Holger is really feeling himself. And maybe it's just a, a comfortable fit. That thing just rides and rides and rides up. It has a mind of its own. It doesn't even, it doesn't even need to be aided. <laughs> the major theme of this episode, though, the first week of the year, comebacks. Without question, so many high-profile, big-name players coming back to tennis for their first matches in, in some cases, what, 16 months, a year and a half? In Naomi Osaka's case, it's been, it's been that long. Mm-hmm. Angie Kerber, she's returning from maternity leave as well. Rafa Nadal spent pretty much all of last year off the tour after suffering that psoas injury. More to come on that. Let's, let's start with Rafa. Rafa and Naomi, I think, were the big headlines of the first week of the year. And Rafa's return in Brisbane, 
with his first round win over Dominic Team, inspired a lot of optimism about the year. He just looked to be in better form than I think any of us could have hoped for. Than anybody could even reasonably expect. <laughs> right. I think even for him, it was a, a stunning performance against Dominic Team, And sucks to be Dominic Team because you're coming back, well, now you're back back, but just not back to where you were before. You've mm-hmm. been trying to reach that level again and not being able to. It's been a, a long haul for him. He makes it through qualifying in Brisbane and what? You're drawn to play Rafa Nadal and then Rafa shows up like that. I'd be so pissed. Yeah, and this is someone you had a great rivalry with who you've played some incredible matches against in the past. And for many of those, you were pretty well matched. This is a different Dominic. It's a much older Rafa, but still Rafa wins all but six points on his serve and didn't give Dominic much of a chance. Super competitive first set. The level was high from both players, Rafa winning at 7-5, and then the frustrations started to set in with Dominic in set two. That really wasn't close at all in the second set. Nadal plays his second match against Jason Kubler, a stone's throw away from a bagel in the first set. It wasn't even close to the level that he showed in the first match, but still clearly that much better than his opponent in the second match. And then we get to his quarterfinal match with Jordan Thompson, and this is where... Ugh... Right, And we know that Jordan Thompson is capable of this extremely high level. He played really well in this match, but Rafa was leading 7-5, 5-4. And in that second set, he failed to convert three match points. One at 5-4 and two in the tiebreaker. I will say Jordan Thompson played out of his mind mm-hmm. in that match. And it brings to mind all the people on Twitter who say, well, of course, when some nobody is playing my fave or one of the goats they just go ham you know they play the best match they'll ever play and will never reach that level again that is intense bitterness speaking (laughs) (laughs) right but also if you are able to raise your game against a great champion like that that's a good thing for you but in this match there are reasons why this played out the way it did thompson's defending was elite. Rafa tried to serve to Thompson's backhand a lot to break it down, to hit to the backhand out wide during rallies. And Thompson was not bothered. In a lot of those instances, he was able to get the balls back with something juicy on it. Juicy. Juicy. Mm -hmm. Whereas that tactic worked with a plum against Dominic Team, the one-handed backhand. In the third set, Rafa has to take a medical timeout off court and at the time, we knew it was some pain in his groin or hip area. And then, of course, this prompted concerns about his recent surgery on the SOAS. For a few days, we were in the dark as to what exactly what was going on. But we got the horrible news. Not even two days. A few days, not even oh, two days. It's been quick, yeah. You know, after a, a great, great night of Dimitrov, Coco, Rybakina... Rublev, all winning titles, all players we love. Then we hear that Rafa has pulled out of the Australian Open. Literally, the tweet comes seconds before Grigor closes out that final against Holger. 
Uh, you in, There's a, a life lesson in there somewhere. You just have to take the bad with the good. I'm drafting the tweet for Grigor. <laughs> About to hit send. And the, here come the notifications. <laughs> it, uh... I haven't really processed it yet because I knew that we had to record and I wanted to be prepared. It is really disappointing. Like, it really, really sucks. He most likely, not definitely, but most likely will never play the Australian Open again. I know that sucks for Australian fans. I'm mm. fine with that. I had... Oh, I'm not. I had <laughs> Australian Open 2022. Yeah. After all that has happened with Rafa in Australia over the years... I would have been fine if he never played Australia again. Right. And right. continued to play all the other and tournaments. And that was the swan song. And with this comeback, I was always really fearful going into it for something like this to happen. Mm-hmm. And for something more extensive or something more calamitous to happen, injury-wise. Right. That would affect the rest of the season. And it does not appear that that's what's happened. It seems like they've mm-hmm. been very proactive about watching out for little niggles that come up and that's what this is it seems it's a micro tear that that should take a couple weeks to heal rather than months right in previous years rafa probably would have gone on to play the australian open and try and push through it yeah and many players play through tournaments with micro tears all the time when you're younger maybe it's a bit easier to manage and you're also not staring down the barrel of the end of your career him coming down to australia showed that he was committed to to making this full comeback like you don't fly all the way there just to you know give it a little try and to show up playing like that right but it even though there are possibly two weeks of lead-in tournaments it's just not a lot of runway when you're coming back from no playing at all to go from practice sets into real matches that's tough for anyone of any age. The micro tear is a silver lining. He said it's not in the same area as where he got the surgery. And hopefully this is just, you know, the body kind of reacting to a different type of stress that it hasn't been used to. But look, how was he realistically going to play best of five sets in a slam on a hard court with the humidity? Like... (laughs) We, we've seen this play out before. Like mm. At this stage of his career, I'm okay with him missing the Australian Open, missing Indian Wells, missing Miami, and showing up for the clay swing. That's what's important to me. Probably not important to him. He wants to do all of oh, them yeah. and see all his fans all over the place if this is the swan song, right? But more encouraging is that there was a fear that Rafa would show up, we don't know his level, and then it would be like, wow, this is this is really just it's just a farewell tour. Right. Like that he would be a shadow of himself. But that wasn't the case. Or even just playing okay to good, but mm-hmm. the it was clear that nothing of import could happen results wise. Right. And that's not at all what we saw from his actual play on court to start the year. After having not played for almost a year to show up on a hard court and play like this, it's crazy. It it made me wonder What must other players think who come back from injury? I know not all injuries are the same. It made me think, is the gap between these greats and, you know, the lost generation, all all the other players that we've seen challenge them, is the gap even bigger than we thought? Mm. Because their natural talent is just so superior. 
And are you just this used to coming back from long layoffs because of injury? I mean, Rafa has missed something like 16 slam main draws because of injury over his career. That's four years where he didn't get a chance to compete. Mm. It also probably highlights the importance of a team that you can rely on. Mm-hmm. Having a team that's that big, you know, with that, that many resources at your disposal. If Rafa needs anything to aid his tennis, who other than Federer would have more? Right. Like, at, at this his level, disposal. your sponsor will find it for you, <laughs> you know? And so then that calls into question the disparity in resources as well. Of course. You know, so <laughs> there's a, a lot of things went through my mind in watching this comeback and... It was disappointing to get that news to see it happen, but I'm relieved that it seems that Rafa has seemed to have avoided something more major. Yeah. Naomi Osaka, just like Rafa, built a lot of excitement based on her first match back. Again, I don't think anybody knew what to expect. Naomi is uh, somebody who released some practice footage, and based on the curated footage that she put out... People were like, wow, look at that racket head speed. Like, she looks great. But you have no idea. Mm. This is somebody who can put out the video she wants you to see. <laughs> when, right. when your opponent is, is saying, here, come have a little try at net. Yeah. Here's a little short little <laughs> slice. Come up here. When they're pushing you out wide, you know, toying you with you a, a little bit. But she was hitting. She hitting. was. And I realized how much I missed it. How much I missed her game. Uh, again, that racket head speed, especially on the forehand, it's mesmerizing. She plays Tammy Korpach in her first round in Brisbane. Brisbane? Brisbane. Oh, I just said it like Rafa. Brisbane. <laughs> Brisbane. Well, what are you going to do next? Like Marleyborn? <laughs> oh my god. What did he say for that one? Ma- Marleyborn? Marleyborn. <laughs> anyway, in Brisbane, plays Korpach of the famous feud at Wimbledon with Harmony Tan. Remember that? Yes. Wins 6-3-7-6. And folks are, I mean, the She's Taken It crowd were lit at that point. She's Taken the Australian Open. <laughs> no, I, not quite there. But a lot of people were like, she's among, say, the 5 to 10 favorites. I wasn't That's a quite, lot of favorites. Uh, sure. But I, I wasn't quite there yet. We'd only seen one match. But she has won this tournament twice. Also on the women's side this past week. We saw quite a few women who, when you watch them play, you're like, oh, she's taking it. <laughs> and I think the one who gave the biggest she's taking it moment was Elena Rybakina last night. That uh, was crazy. Yeah. More on that. Naomi wins that first match, plays a long three-setter versus Karolina Pliskova, who has won this tournament three times. Yeah. There's a lot about Karolina's career that when you look it up, you're like, oh, Oh, right. Of course. Of course she's won Brisbane three times. She's just had a pretty awful extended period coming into this season. Right, right. But Pliskova hits 16 aces and 50 winners across those three sets. And Naomi is basically like, well, what could I do? You know, I'm happy with my level. Uh, That was tough. Naomi hit double digits on aces as well. And... I believe, only lost served twice. Mm. They both served well. It was a competitive match. And as you said, Naomi wasn't mad about it. No, afterwards she tweets, not gonna lie, that was really fun though. And in interviews she said, you know, I'm happy to be back. 
having a baby has given me this perspective and it's given me patience and understanding. Do you really want your fave to be playing five matches and winning a tournament at this point <laughs> of the year, right, when, especially when they're coming back? Yeah. What is the optimal preparation? I think Kerber got the best preparation of all the people coming back. I don't consider her to be one of the players who would challenge for the big titles <laughs> this year. Mm-hmm. But in terms of what she was able to get out of this first week, I think she got the most. And that had to do with the format of United Cup. Yeah. Let's jump there. Angie hadn't played a match since Wimbledon 2022. She gave birth to her daughter, Liana, last February. And she was always intent about returning to the tour after she had the baby. And it should come as no surprise if you know anything about Angie Kerber and her fitness. She returns in incredible shape. Mm -hmm. This woman played... The semifinal singles match going into like 4 a.m. our time and then returned less than, what, 20 hours later to play again against world number one (laughs) in her fifth match of the week. And she did not not look worse for wear physically. That was crazy. But you had said that this was the kind of optimum way back into tennis. You're getting a lot of guaranteed matches. Not only that, but in this case, you're getting looks at different types of players, different types of game styles. You're able to see how you match up against Tomljanovic, former top 50 player who's outside of 200, also coming back. You get to see how you play against a top tenner in Sakari. You get to play the number one player in the world. You get, Mm -hmm. I mean... And because you're on a good team, you can lose and continue going into the tournament. (laughs) She loses to Paulini, but wins mixed doubles with that asshole uh, versus Italy. Wow, I think that's the first time you've gone that far. This is, is, you're branching out in 2024. a new era. (laughs) Loses in three sets to Garcia, loses to Sakari, and then gets her first singles win against Isla Tomljanovic in the semifinals of United Cup. In one of the matches of the week Mm -hmm. across both tours. Incredible stuff. And this guaranteed Germany a place in the final because that guy lost to Alex Diemenauer in the same uh, tie. Mm-hmm. I mean, she suffers bagels against Sakari as well as Sviantek. In that final against Sviantek, Angie has break points to go up 4-3 on the world number one. So even though the match got away from her after that, not winning any more games... There's still a lot of stuff she can take from that Mm. experience. And again, it's a lot of tennis in one week. The other comeback of note is Emma Raducanu. She comes back in Auckland. This is her first match since Stuttgart of last year. And she had surgery on both wrists and an ankle. Just one ankle, though. It was like a rough 2023 for her. She beats Ruse in three sets. Loses to Svitolina in three sets, who is the eventual runner-up and who acquitted herself very well in that final. She's Emma, regardless of how long she's been out, is someone who garners a ton of attention. It's always going to be like that. And I think she's just happy to be back playing. Pretty traumatic injury stuff last year. She'll be getting some more practice at the exhibition in Kuyong this week. And there was some conversation about whether she would get direct entry into the Australian Open. She has a protected ranking of 103. As you know, there were a number of withdrawals. And then finally, Lauren Davis's withdrawal gets her into the main draw. 
one of the withdrawals that aided her case was Petra Kvitova, the newest mom-to-be on the WTA <laughs> yeah. tour. This phenomenon, this welcome development for women in the tennis workplace, has fans shook because anytime a player is conspicuously absent for any stretch, could be two weeks, the pregnancy rumors right. start. Oh, she's pregnant. The latest one to catch that case is Madison Keys. She's out here saying, listen, guys, my team has advised me to pull out of Australia because of a shoulder injury. It's not medically sound. And the girlies on Twitter are like, oh, here she comes. Oh, she just got married. Baby next. Uh, let's just say it's great that a lot of women tennis players are pausing their careers to have babies. They are coming back from maternity leave and having a lot of success. We love to see it. We would love to get those parental leave benefits juiced up, though. Back to Raducanu. She almost had Elena mm. in that match. Another return from which the player can draw a lot of positives. Yeah. There weren't any duds, really, at all. No, there weren't, uh, you know, they weren't deep runs, but they were promising returns. It was kind of funny because overnight on the first day, it was like, Emma, Naomi, Rafa all won their first match. All look great. And then it was like, oh, Naomi and Emma lost. <laughs> you know, they they slowly fell. But they were uh, inspiring performances either way. Yeah, I back to my earlier point. I If I, if my fave is coming back, I don't want them going the distance. Right, right. I want them getting a couple matches in, keep it cute, go to Melbourne, get some more reps there in the actual match conditions, and then go from there. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about United Cup. Uh, We mentioned it with Angie. This was her first tournament back. And it seemed among the fans that the United Cup was much better received this year for a few reasons. Last year, it was set in three cities across Australia, which is huge. You know, Australia is really big. And I don't know if you know that. Mm -hmm. But from Perth to Brisbane to Sydney, they were having the group stage. It was basically the same duration But because the format was so different, it felt like a lot last year. There were five matches per tie, two men's singles, two women's singles, and then a mixed doubles. It just felt like there was so much tennis last year and it was hard to to follow this year. Also to the detriment of the Brisbane tournament. Yes. You know, it stressed that Australian schedule because Brisbane is an important tournament for players coming in. And they, they were sharing the the facilities. <laughs> yes, this year they limited it to Perth and Sydney. Half the groups played in Perth, half played in Sydney, and then the ones from Perth who won had a day to travel over to the east coast of Australia. And each tie was only three matches: a men's singles, a women's singles, and a mixed doubles. And so that gave a lot more import. It was more likely that the mixed doubles could be decisive. Australia came very close to winning. Dumanar cracks the top 10 based on his output this week, beating that guy in the semis before, you know, Australia couldn't quite close the deal in the mixed doubles. France looked good. Caroline Garcia looked good. Mm-hmm. They brought in the evil empire in uh, Germany to play mixed doubles toward the end, and that got the job done, unfortunately. Uh, wow. I mean, <laughs> you thought it couldn't get worse, right? And then they brought her. She's a great doubles player, though. There is no no joking around about that. 
Well, Zygmunt had been playing quite a few of the of the ties. Mm-hmm. Serbia reaches the quarterfinals. Novak loses to Alex Dimonauer 6-4, 6-4. He gets treatment on his wrist. Both Ivan Isovic and Djokovic have said, yeah, there is a wrist problem, but we do not think it will be a problem for the Australian Open. We have time to work on it. Nick Kyrgios goes on Twitter and says, this is because the balls are changing all the time. Look what's happening. I... I don't know, right? Like, we don't know the scientific reasons. If the the changing balls have a really detrimental effect on athletes' bodies, it would make sense. I was thinking today, I would love to see some science about that. Like, I wish... Are you giving us work to do? No, because we're not qualified to do that work. I would love to see a study funded about the effect of different types of technology on tennis players' bodies. Because I don't doubt it, but I haven't seen the the actual data, you know? Germany won this event despite Iga Svantec's best efforts. Winning all her matches, losing only one set the entire week. Serving bagels. When she looked pressed in spots, she flicked a switch and just revved her engines to the finish line (laughs) like we've seen before talk about getting a look at a lot of different types of players Mm -hmm. she wins all her singles matches against Soribos Tormo Haradmaya Zhang Garcia Kerber wins all of her mixed doubles matches except for the last one coming into the final Poland had only lost one match the entire tournament Mm. there were something like what 12 and 1 unfortunately they finished the tournament 13 and 3 Orkach unable to close out that guy after Iga went one up with her win over Kerber. Yeah. Urkacz winning the first set in a tiebreak and then eventually losing 6-4 or so in the third. And then, of course, Zygmunt and Zverev beat Iga and Hubie in mixed doubles. It uh, obviously was a horrible result, but it was cool that mixed For doubles... For us personally... Oh, I'm not no I'm no longer making excuses for Zverev fans. <laughs> like I'm gonna be sympathetic to that. It's not about Zverev fans. Oh, okay. I just want to be, you know we're we're we own our biases, is what we we're do. saying. Yeah. We do. And it's not Hubert's fault that Zverev is still playing. I was still mad about it. Right. <laughs> I'm allowed to be mad about it. But for, you know, the trolls. Well, I'm not who are trying gonna... to read into something that was not said. I'm not even gonna say a troll. I'm just mm-hmm. saying I tweeted that I was disgusted after Urkacz didn't close out that match in the second set, and I went to bed because. Mm-hmm. But that's a valid. That's a valid response. I didn't say what You're I was not disgusted saying he's by. Responsible for all these horrible. I'm not things. saying that Urkacz disgusts me. I'm just <laughs> saying at this particular moment, what is happening on this tennis court is disgusting to me. Mm-hmm. It's I like, do not like it. Are you disgusted, or did he disgust? <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was the the former. And so the response was, well, he's not responsible for the ATP still allowing that guy to be playing tennis after all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I but, absolutely agree with you. But, but that's not what that? that's not what this is. And cue the candy burrs. Who said that? That's not what this is. And I absolutely agree with you. The ATP is shit for <laughs> for us being in this position. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> anyway. I will say it was pretty cool that mixed doubles got to be the decider for the entire United mm-hmm. Cup. One of the narratives this week is that, wow, who's going to stop this Polish duo at the Olympics? And as it turns out, anybody can lose in mixed doubles at any given yeah. time. 
There's so many variables in mixed doubles. So many. You could have a legend playing with you and you just decide to be Rajiv Ram. Uh, wow. Re- he's still 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 trades. still to this day <laughs> speaking of rajiv ram the usa won united cup last year peggy had a famous win over iga they actually failed to make it out of the group stage this year even fielding the same a team fritz and pagula all three teams in their group went one and one and australia qualified out of that group yeah in one of the teasers for this next season of breakpoint Fritz is seen, I think, sitting in a car saying, you know, yeah, this year I have a target on my back. Sweetie, who is targeting you? Is you this know, what that manifests? They really, they really set him up. <laughs> they really did. Is this what happened here? The target got him? Like he was... <laughs> it's, no, at this point it's giving Real Housewives, it's giving producers are like encouraging you to say certain things. That's what it feels like to me. Well, in Brisbane... <laughs> These two tournaments, these two WTA tournaments in Brisbane and in Auckland saw the top two seeds play both finals. In Brisbane, number two, Rybakina beats number one, Sabalenka. And in Auckland, number one, Ms. Goff beats number two, Elena Svitolina. What a draw in Brisbane. The, it's a rematch of the Australian Open final from last year. Rybakina went into this final... What, uh, two and five against Sabalenka career? Rybakina storms through the first set, six love. You're, we're watching Coco at that time. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, this match starts. Pop over. We're like, Brisbane. well, we got some time. We got some time. And in a blink, Rybakina is up six love and then one love in the second set. And automatically, I assume, is Sabalenka injured? What is going on here? Remember the last time Sabalenka lost a first set in a bagel, Madison she beat Keys. Madison Keys in the semifinals of the U.S. Open. So this was not lost, right? She's beaten Rabakina five times. I also expect that Sabalenka will f- troubleshoot her way to at least get to a third set. Typically, that's what mm-hmm. she does. She may not win the match, but I did not expect a blowout. That said, Courtney Nguyen pointed out on Twitter that of the seven matches that they'd played previously, the five wins Sabalenka got them in three sets. And the two wins that Rybakina had, she won in straight sets. And that oh, continued okay. in this mm-hmm. match. So Yelena might know that if she wants to put away Arena, she has to do it quickly. This was such a complete performance. Watching that match, you saw a complete tennis player. Like, she can volley now? Moving to net comfortably, hitting these crisp, beautiful volleys, looking entirely unbothered by the Thor Del Potro (laughs) forehand-wielded, blasted at you by Sabalenka. It's, if I'm watching that match, watching that entire tournament, and seeing Rybakina roll up like that, I'm concerned, (laughs) frankly. (laughs) Right. Surely, surely one of the favorites for the Australian Open beat Iga here last year. It's big trouble if Iga faces her before the final. Uh, but Arena Sabalenka won Adelaide last year, of course, won the Australian Open last year. The Belarusians love Australia, period. Mm-hmm. Vika Azarenka had a great tournament here. You know, people like to make fun of Mariah saying that she defrosts at Christmas time. <laughs> Vika defrosts. 
Yes. At during the Australian swing. Vika and Karolina Pliskova both thaw thaw out in Australia. Vika, of course, is a two-time champion in Melbourne. Uh, gets this little mini resurgence in Brisbane this week, beating Kalinskaya, Burrell, and Ostapenko to reach the semifinals. And this is actually her first trip to any semifinal since the Australian Open last year. Mm. It's Rabakina's sixth career title. Doesn't drop a set all week after beating Gadecki, Mertens, Potapova, Noskova, and Sabalenko. Brisbane was also a fame, say, I guess, infamous for Ostapenko's behavior during her match against Azarenka. Has a run-in with the umpire, Julie Kendley. Do you want to read the, uh, the reenactment? Quote, I never want you on my match again. You will never be on my match. Yes, I will right now, call Donna. Right now. I don't want you on my matches. You ruin my matches. She also said that that double bounce was so obvious that it was basically a triple bounce. And upon the replay, it is <laughs> actually very difficult to tell whether it bounced again. None of the commentators seem to agree on it. Many angles. Uh, to be sure, it did not bounce three times. Hmm. Uh, to me, it looked clean. It looked clean to me. One thing for sure is that Yelena Ostapenko is that woman who will cause all that conversation. Be it her kit, which did not disappoint at this tournament. It was Some actually, people were mocking it. and It was actually fairly conservative by her standards. And it looked good? It was cute. What you mean to say is you just don't like her body. Right. That's what, and, right. and truthfully, like we have to move past this at this point. Ostapenko is not an unfit tennis player. Mm-mm. Quite the opposite, Hardly actually. anybody plays more tennis than Yelena Ostapenko. And didn't she win the doubles? Right? It, it's, it's just preposterous at this point. Now, my first reaction was, poor Donna. Because Donna might be on track to be this year's Carolyn. Call Donna. Call her right now. Donna is Donna Kelso, the, supervi- the WTA supervisor of that tournament. Luckily, it didn't come to that. Uh, that's not the rule, Carolyn, moment. We kind of skipped over Sabalenka a little bit here. Yeah. She loses this final comprehensively and is in good spirits afterward, which we've seen many times now. Mm-hmm. Taking digs at her team, digs at herself. She says, couple of words to my team. You did a bad job today. <laughs> six love, six three. That's all your fault, guys. <laughs> Am I worried going into the Australian Open for her? No, absolutely not. Like, it, Pay was, attention to it history. was a bad day. Pay attention to history. Sabalenka, maybe more so than any tennis player in recent history, has suffered incredible lows and has not been deterred one iota by any of them. She keeps coming back. She has had, I was thinking about it last night, she's had such a strange career, hasn't she? I mean, for years it was, oh, she can't do anything at slams, but she's so talented. And then last year she was the most consistent player at the slams, but had... Two devastating semifinal losses, which she shouldn't have lost, but was the number one player for a lot of the year, won the Australian Open. I mean, the previous year she had serving yips and came through it to get to the WTA finals. And like, her career does not take the usual trajectory. Also in Brisbane, this was maybe my favorite result of the week. Mm-hmm. Loved it. The Grishasans continues. Grigor Dimitrov... Dropped an underwear campaign with Lacoste. Mid-tournament. 
done very well. Too, there were too... Too much acclaim. There were two major underwear drops. Underwear campaign oh. drops. <laughs> in the gay sphere. Wait. This, this oh, week. Oh. Jeremy Allen White mm-hmm. and Grigor Dimitrov. And both of them delivered. We didn't... It wasn't... I know you gave me grief and some people gave me grief about how I talked about the Carlos Alcaraz underwear shoot. It was just giving budget. Mm. These were not budget. These were well done. Had nothing to do with what the actual subject looked like. Right, right. We're not talking about people's bodies here. Right. Did you see Aaron Taylor Johnson put out some of his underwear pics like right after Jeremy Allen White's went out? I did not see those. <laughs> was like, hey, remember me? <laughs> But those had already come was, out, didn't yes, they? Yes, it was really funny. It's Grigor's first title since his very good 2017 season, where he won four titles, culminating in the ATP Finals win. He won Cincinnati that year as well. And, you know, some of these tennis accounts were quite rude, including the official one saying, oh, it's been 13,000 days since his last tournament title, but here he is. Right, and it was, you know, like it was okay, weird, honestly, like why, why do that? You know, like the man has been, he's been revving up for a while. The Grishasans has been, <laughs> yes, it's been coming. He reached a few finals last year. He got close. Like clearly, his game was in a much better place than it had been. And uh, this match, this final was probably, to me, the best, most entertaining tennis I saw all week. It was great. Like, I was watching it and thinking, am I going to have to start supporting Holger? That was the realization that came upon me because I actually quite like his game. Mm. Like, a lot. I did not suffer from those. (laughs) Those delusions? Delusions. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I mean, the match at points was beautiful. No, I get it. You know. He, He has a great game. He's fun to watch. I just can't deal with the petulance Mm -hmm. the churlishness i don't personally i don't care about that as much as long as he doesn't say like slurs Mm. you know like well he has you know we talk about cancel culture and whatever he has i'm saying well right but i'm saying (laughs) on the record that i am willing to forgive and forget in some circumstances Mm. Has has he pandered well, I don't know. I'm not looking for that. I really well, I, all we've gotten is Mama out here. <laughs> talk about problematic. No, <laughs> no, I'm not saying that I'm a Holger stan, but I did. I enjoyed that match. Mm-hmm. It was good. And Grigor is now 32 years old. He's still moving out there like a gazelle. His elasticity on court, his nimbleness, his mm-hmm. dexterity, the sliding. He fell down in one point and got right back up to win it. It's giving everything that I need in a <laughs> tennis match. Yeah. It gives power. It gives finesse. It gives style. It gives charm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just just the whole pack. And the kit, the kit was delightful. Really good. Like, really nice. He said he... he Feels like he's having a second wind in his career and in his life. What's clear too is that he uh, does he is he understanding his game better? Is he scaling back yes. what he's doing on the tennis court to implement what works? To mm-hmm. stick to a few patterns that work? Is 
the influence of Jamie Delgado shining through as his coach? What is what is different here for Grigor? Because mm. on top of all that, we've seen so many times during his career where he will have great spurts in these matches and you just expect the wilting. Right. You expect him to bend under pressure. And this never happened. Did not happen. There were so many moments where it could have in this match. And he, I mean, he closed that, he closed it out immaculately. Mm -hmm. I also want to put you on the spot here in that mm. the other night I asked you, uh, who would you say is like the hottest man in the world or something like that? And without <laughs> skipping a beat, you're like Grigor. <laughs> the stranglehold that this man has on you is... I, he won't let me go. <laughs> Uh, but speaking of Jamie Delgado, Grigor beat Andy Murray in the first round, the only person he lost a set to, by the way, and then beat Altmaier, Hijikata, and Jordan Thompson, who was in great form after beating Rafa. In Hong Kong, Andre Rublev shows up. Russia does not play in the United Cup, obviously. Uh, Andre and Karen Hachanov were the top seeds in Hong Kong, and Rublev wins his 15th ATP title. That's a lot. Compared to, what, seven for Grigor? Nine. 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 Mm. Wow, I, I, I took two away from him there. <laughs> two of them in Brisbane. Yes. He beats Brody, Fees, Shangjun Cheng, and Rusevori. The other notable thing for me is that Marin Cilic entered Hong Kong. He's on a protected ranking after having uh, surgery on his meniscus last year. We haven't seen him a lot. He only played three matches last year. Which surprised me. I felt mm. like I saw him more last year, but I didn't. I felt like I saw him play a major, but he did not. He did not. He no. had a couple matches at the start of the year and then came back for one um, tournament. Umag in and that Croatia. Was it. Yeah. yeah. Technically, he played four matches in 2023, but the last one was part of this current season. There you go again. Right. <laughs> you will not let that go. Uh, what notable here is that Marin lost that match after having nine match points nine against uh Struff. lost in three hours but the the good thing is that he's back and uh he's just kind of feeling his way back into matches in auckland miss goff defends her title loses the first set to svitolina in that final before coming back to win 6-3 6-3 she defends a title for the first time which is something that daniel medvedev has never done he hasn't even mm -hmm. won the same tournament twice <laughs> Let alone back-to-back. -back. You know, we love variety. But you're right. Not everybody has that. Nope. Not everybody has defended a title. And she let us know right away. She won the match, went and sat down, tweeted about it, and got back up. <laughs> Coco, watching the match, it felt like Coco's serve was a problem. A big problem. A, and in previous matches, it wasn't. Right? I think she hit 10 aces in a very quick match against um, Emma Navarro in the previous round. The first serve percentage was slightly better than it felt like. It was 65%. So not optimum, but not horrendous. But if Coco was hitting a second serve, Alina Svitolina was able to get on top of rallies in a lot of cases. Yeah. And Coco has superior defense, maybe the best defense on tour, which saved her in a lot of instances. But, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm thinking I'm watching the old Svitolina. Right. And I'm I'm questioning, why are you letting her 
get on top of you and rallies on your surf. Because this is not the old Spitalina. Exactly. This is Spitalina 2.0, who is ravenous from the baseline. <laughs> like, if it takes five boom-blasted forehands, it'll take five. Mm-hmm. And if a sixth is needed, she'll do it. <laughs> and the thing is, I know she had this. She had this at certain points before her her maternity leave. It's not like a revolution. It's not a complete change in her game. But it it's a different approach. It's a different attitude. It is a completely different change. No, but there were there were matches when she was winning masters titles handily. Sure. Like in 27 yeah. uh, 2017, 2018, she could be aggressive like that. It's a complete and, different approach. Yeah. So many players can do this within points, mm-hmm. within games. But to do that as an entire shift in your approach to your your tennis, it takes, frankly, it takes time off to do it. Right. It, you don't have enough time in between seasons to change the way you fundamentally play tennis. One benefit of her having a maternity leave is that she was able to come back a new, a new player. She had the time to actually make those changes and feel confident in mm-hmm. implementing those changes. Right. And I also think when you are away and you're looking at the mortality of your career, like you realize how ephemeral your tennis career is and it could disappear at any moment, why not try something different? Like, why not rethink the way you approach the game? Coco is winning matches in different ways. This much is clear. Mm-hmm. Like she's, Which she, is important. It is. Because you're not going to always have your best game. There were spots where it was downright ugly in this match. <laughs> the match itself was not... A great match. No. It was a hotly contested match. It was a struggle. Uh, and Coco found her way through it. She troubleshooted her way through that US Open final. She did it again here in in a different way. Mm-hmm. Coco was much better than Svitolina on return. Uh, when Coco got her first serves in, it was a different story. Coming into this final, Coco was 6-1. and one. In WTA finals, what was her only loss? Oh, uh, the Roland Garros. Correct. To Sviantec. Mm-hmm. And Elena, a stat that surprised a lot of people, myself included, had played 20 finals and won 17 of them. <laughs> now that's impressive. And it had a lot of people going back to her records in those, those great seasons, like 2017, uh, back when she won the WTA finals. And people were saying, had she done better at the majors, she was number one. But that's a big if, right? Like, her game was there, but she wasn't doing it at the majors, unfortunately. You have here that Elena likely moves to number 23 after just 12 tournaments back. Coco trades with Rabakina and slides down to number 4. Right. Still not bad. You're a top 4 seed. You won a, You defended a title. It's just that Rabakina won a bigger title. And had points to gain. You had no mm. points to gain. <laughs> yeah. The big takeaway for me here on the WTA side this first week is... The top four is ready. Yes. The top four is ready to go. And there are a whole lot of other women who are ready to go. (laughs) Everybody's (laughs) ready to go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They may not have had multiple wins, but everybody's chomping at the bit. Everybody's prepared. This could be a firecracker of a tournament on the women's side. Yeah. This tournament being the Australian Open. I referenced Breakpoint earlier, and we had a, a pretty heated conversation about this a few weeks ago. When it came out, mm-hmm. and you were like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. 
I don't think it was heated. On my end, it was just <laughs> rather decisive. I said, I'm not, I'm not doing it this time. I didn't enjoy the first season. It's not for us. It's not made for us. It's not made for tennis fans. It feels fake. And when they're, I mean, I know for a fact at this point that they're featuring Zverev on an episode. I'm not supporting that. I'm simply not. And we'll see what the episode actually entails. Has it been released yet? No. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I'm not going to hold out hope that they handle it responsibly. Are you going to watch it? No. So how will you know? I guess I won't. I guess you'll tell me. I No, I just feel like last year we felt like it was a responsibility of ours to watch this series and report on it or, or whatever, give our review. I don't feel that responsibility this year. And you know me. I'm not... I don't really believe in principled boycotts that much. Like, I don't, I don't think they're that effective. You wrote an entire master's <laughs> thesis around that premise. <laughs> I'm not going to watch Breakpoint because I don't want to, period. And because I don't want to support this series that has devoted an episode to Zverev, and I'm fairly certain is not handling it uh, in a holistic way, if you know what I mean. Will it be mentioned at all? What? I would be shocked if the allegations are mentioned at all on that. Anyways, I guess we'll have to see. Anyway, that's just a programming note that if... And when that thing gets released and you don't hear about it from us, this is why. Francis Tiafo has a new coach. He announced before Christmas that he split with Wayne Ferreira. He's now with Diego Moyano. Uh, this is a fellow who he knew as a kid when Moyano coached at the USTA. Moyano has, Moyano has also coached Kevin Anderson and Coco Goff. Speaking of Coco, there were a few unfamiliar faces in her box this week. Uh, I'm sure familiar to the super fans, but it seemed that she has she's kind of cleaned house after Pera Reba left, and Brad Gilbert is number one. Although we didn't see Brad this week, uh, she's been hitting with former American player Stefan Kozlov, who uh, reached a career high of number 103. And I discovered that back in 2022, Stefan tweeted, "Quote: Coco Goff is the most impressive athlete I've seen." Love that. Love that for you, Stefan. I mean, when you roll up to the interview and you're like, able to bring that receipt these out of are the, the bag. Receipts. <laughs> I believe in her. Another bit of bad news. Another? Has there been a lot of bad news? Bad news. Well, Rafa pulling out was okay, the big yes. one. So one more bit of bad news on this episode. Karolina Muhova. Oh my god. Terrible I, news. Really? Like, will it never end? Somebody tweeted she's going to roll up to the Australian Open next year as a lefty with a one-handed backhand. (laughs) And win it. (laughs) Which I appreciate the levity in that moment. But this is just not, not fun as a fan. And I'm sure even worse for her. Well, right. There was also a bit of Australian Open wildcard drama this past week. We'll cover... The actual wild cards and the the draw more on the preview episode, which I guess we have to record in a few days. Yeah, it's it starts. I saw the the AO qualifying draw come out, and I was like, that seems early. Yeah, the but no, it's actually coming soon. The tournament is upon us. <laughs> yeah, but Rodianova, who is the number one ranked Australian WTA player, was overlooked 
for a wild card. Uh, yeah, perplexing. Mr. Tiley said... A pretty conspicuous omission. Mr. Tiley said, no, no thank you. Shant. Daria Savile got one. A few other Australians got one. It was... Strange. You had the reciprocals mm. in there. Um, Arena, this is Arena. She's the younger sister to Anastasia, who is a bit notorious. She's had a... <laughs> you I feel like there was an instance where she like slammed the ball into the stands and she was like actually trying to hit people. Do you remember that? I don't. I remember that. Uh, but the younger Rodi Nova is the current Aussie number one. The choice not to give her a wild card is quite a strange one, but it is definitely not... Uh, the worst thing that Craig Tiley has had to explain away in the past. Mm. This is being talked about on Twitter and Rodinova quote tweets and says, I wish I could say I am surprised. Tell us more. But she said, I'm going to roll up to qualifying and it's fine. And she said, let's fucking go. Mm-hmm. Well, she said LFG, but that's what that means. And you know what? Let's fucking go <laughs> on season 10 of The Body Serve. That brings us to the end of this episode. We want to plug again the GoFundMe. If you've enjoyed the show, the coverage, what have you, if you want to see us thrive and soar into the future, help us fund season 10. You can do so by going to linktree.com slash thebodyserve. Reminder that if you've donated $100 or more, you are owed a postcard as well as two bookmarks. If you'd like to receive them, send us your address. You can email us at thebodyserve at gmail.com. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. And I'm James at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. Thanks for listening. Looking forward to 2024. Till next time. Thank you very much.